Welcome to episode 28 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie, and in this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's like solving a puzzle with only 24 by 24 pixels with Bonnie Kate Wolf. Welcome to another episode of WebJoy. I'm excited today to have Bonnie Kate Wolf with us. Bonnie, say hi to the community. Hello, everybody. If you don't mind, just take a couple of minutes to explain who you are, what you do, where you work, I guess the general details about yourself. So I am an icon designer slash illustrator slash designer slash art director, but my specialty is icon design. I mostly do product icons. Sometimes I foray into brand work. Currently, I am freelancing and contracting. So I have a contract going with Netflix at the moment, and I've got a bunch of different uh, freelance projects as well. That's really cool, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people do really broad jobs. And while you did list, you know, a handful of different types of things that you do, it really stood out to me when I saw you on Twitter that you're really focused on icon design. It's kind of amazing to me that you've been able to kind of make that your primary job. How did you kind of go on a journey? Did you start out only doing icons? Did you start out more general and then, you know, sharpen your focus over time? I guess let us know kind of how that journey looked like for you. I've always loved making tiny drawings, like ever since I was eight years old. And my dad got me a copy of Jask Paint Shop Pro, the precursor to Photoshop. And I figured out how to make pixel art in it. I was very invested in the pixel art community. And so that was my like main thing was making pixel art. And then I grew out of that after a while started doing more design, like more traditional kind of brand design um, in high school. And then college, I started doing more illustration work. I only started doing actual icon design uh, when I joined Square. So Square was my first full-time FTE job. And I was a production designer. Uh, We had a pretty big library of brand icons, but we only had them at one size. And we kept having, kept wanting to resize them back down. So the creative director and then my boss, who was the head of production design, asked me, would you consider taking our library and expanding it? Because you seem like a person who would enjoy this. I'd been doing some illustration work already. So I basically partnered with the creative director at the time to recreate all these icons. And we would literally sit for hours just reviewing every single one, zooming in super, super close. And that kind of got me started on the trek to becoming an icon designer. Didn't realize it could be a job, but that was like my first big project. Uh, So I had a huge amount of support. And then it turned into my full-time job when the pandemic hit. So I was a brand designer. I was going to be going to Thumbtack uh, in March, 2020. And then the pandemic became more obvious to us as a whole. Um, They rescinded everyone's offer at at that point. Um, So my offer was rescinded. So I just started reaching out to people on Twitter. I said, hey, I lost my job, but I can illustrate, I can design, I make great icons. And so I just turned into a freelance icon designer. Wow, that's interesting. I, it's amazing how much of so many people that I've talked to, I ask them about their journey. And a lot of it comes down to, oh, and then when the pandemic hit, like this thing changed, right? This opportunity went away or 
I realized that, you know, this other thing was a thing, you know, I actually work at Glassdoor now. And before the pandemic, they were in the office only. I live on the East Coast. Their office is in San Francisco. So like I couldn't work where I work today before. So it's just been amazing to hear kind of all the changes of directory and like culturally and business wise, the things that have changed because of everything that happened with the pandemic. Yeah, I think the pandemic really, for me, made me realize how much bigger the world is than I maybe originally had thought and how many more opportunities there are than I thought and that I could accomplish so much more than I ever thought possible. Like I've now worked with companies that I didn't think would ever appear in my inbox and now they are my clients (laughs) and I now have much bigger goals for myself, goals that I would never have set that they might take 10 years, but that's fine because it could absolutely still happen. I just feel like I have so much more I can do in this weird way because of the pandemic. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that you've hit a point where you wouldn't have expected this to be you know, happening and now you've made even bigger goals. I just love that. I think you know, you mentioned one thing that kind of popped out, which I was wanting to dive into a little bit, which is like, you mentioned you've worked with a lot of big name companies. How did that happen? Is that, you know, you knew people? Did you just say, I'm just going to cold email these people? Like, I guess, how did that take place? So it varies in the early stage of the pandemic. So when I was kind of just getting my freelance uh, career up and going, it was more like, oh, somebody knows somebody who reaches out to me or somebody in my network, but maybe I don't know them very well, but they're they are aware I'm a a person, will post saying they're looking for icon design. Um, Because I'm so specialized, it's really easy for me to target like, oh, I could do this work and I can respond to someone and they have a portfolio that's going to speak to what they're looking for. Nowadays, for the past probably more like year and a half or so, I just have emails in my inbox. Like every week I open it and I'm like, okay, what do we have this week? Sometimes it's a smaller company that I've never heard of, but full of great people. And I get to work with them and meet them. And it's great. Sometimes it's a company like Chanel and you're just like, what? Is this real? Is this a scam? Like Someone looking at the, me. Yeah, exactly. And you're like looking at the sender. Like, is this the right URL? Is it .com? <laughs> so is now it fishing comes... me? <laughs> exactly. I did think they were fishing me. They were not. Uh, so now it comes more in that way, or I'll have, because I have a a bigger, stronger network, folks will recommend me to their friends. So it might come in as a cold call email, but it might be like, oh, well, my friend Harim recommended you. Do you know Harim? And I'm like, okay, yes, I know Harim. And then that also tells me that the person who's talking to me is probably great because if Harim likes them, then they're going to be great. It sounds like a really fun job trajectory, I guess, you know, you mentioned you've always kind of been interested in little art, right? And now that kind of went full circle and has gone back to icons. What do you think it is that pixel art and icons, like, what is it that draws you to that and kind of keeps it interesting and exciting for you? I'm definitely extremely detail oriented when it comes to visuals. Like I'm not going to send a super detail oriented email. I don't like making spreadsheets, but (laughs) I like, but I like making tiny detailed drawings, I think. And I've noticed that it's very 
satisfying to make everything kind of fit together perfectly. And so the smaller the canvas, the easier it is to kind of get everything just right. And I think with iconography, it's like solving a puzzle where you only have 24 by 24 pixels and you have to fit in a certain amount of content into that space. And I think that for me is where it gets really satisfying. And with pixel art back back in the in the times where I was a child, part of it was like, okay, I have only so many pixels to use. I only have so many colors because of the GIF monster. Because <laughs> we exported everything as GIFs. It's these kind of constraints that are really satisfying to make uh, design work within. I've played around with a little bit of like Photoshop editing and stuff. And for me, it's it's interesting because it's challenging when you zoom into the pixel level to remember what it looks like outside of the pixel level. And so that perspective that I'm sure you kind of have to maintain these two different perspectives in your mind, right? One, you're looking at these 24, you know, by 24 squares and like you're just converting squares into colors and like in the back of your mind, kind of remembering when I change this, like this is where it is in the grand scheme of things. I just think that that's an amazing skill. So um, I'm glad people like you have that ability. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, I think there it's a being able to simplify your like, whilst details are obviously fun and important, like it's being able to simplify concepts to their most basic forms and make them comprehensible to anybody. And I do find that satisfying as well because I've been doing more, I say large scale workout. I'm talking like 80 by 80. <laughs> <laughs> so like, ooh, a big, a big drawing, 80 pixels. Yeah. Now that I've been doing more of that, I'm starting to also find that more satisfying as well because I'm like, okay, it's the same problem, but now I get to use color and I love color. I get to be a little more illustrative. It felt like for a long time that my technical drawing skills were catching up with my eyeball skills, basically. Like (laughs) I can, I know what I want it to look like. I can identify a drawing that I think is really beautiful and well executed in what I want to do, but I was having trouble getting the drawings to the level I wanted them at. And I feel like now I'm finally reaching a point where I'm like, okay, the drawing is actually satisfactory to me. And I'm still learning and I'm now pushing myself further. I'm like, okay, well, try bigger. (laughs) And so that's been like, I feel like I just never stopped pushing myself, but it's nice to be able to see things that I couldn't do before that I feel like now I'm actually doing pretty well at. I love that, right? Like to be on that trajectory and to look back and say, oh, how I did this six months ago or a year ago and like to see the growth and the change. It's so cool. Like pretty much every industry has that, whether you're a developer or a designer or even a product manager and like understanding like requirements and like users and stuff. I think all of those different pathways, like to be able to look back and see the growth, that's just always so exciting. Yeah. So we've been, um, so I built the Netflix icon system that, which I now have a case study in my portfolio. So you can look at it if you want to look at a tremendous number of icons. (laughs) And we've been obviously adding to it over the the past few months. And what we realized was we built a system so perfect, so flawless that it is almost impossible to create within, which is not something I would ever (laughs) think would happen. But what's basically happened is we spent like a full year figuring out how are we going to get these icons to engineers flawlessly every time and engineers with different requirements. And uh, then the engineers obviously are getting it onto 
mobile, tablet, desktop, and television. So you've got a lot of different surfaces. And so my project manager, ops person, and I run the icon library and delivery and all of that. And we want to be able to onboard another designer, but it's very complicated because you can't make any mistakes. Like the system does not allow for mistakes because if you make a mistake, part of it is that we have a little checker, like a validator. So you can put your SVG into the validator and it'll be like, nope, wrong file name or wrong size or wrong color or uh, wrong code or any of these things that it might be. And um, so we are having to figure out how do we make this more accessible to somebody who's not me, an expert who built the system. And so if I were to do it again, I would try to find a way to make it simpler, I think, which is interesting because it covers, like the icon library covers every use case any designer could ever potentially come up with pretty much ever. But (laughs) to be able to create that, you then need to resource that. You need a human being to do all that design. And we didn't necessarily think that would be a problem. So it's been kind of interesting to learn this kind of new weird thing. That's cool. Well, so as we kind of do with every episode, we always like to bring it around to find out kind of what brings the guests on the podcast joy. So I just kind of wanted to ask you, you know, is there anything you've been working with or anything you've learned lately or people you've worked with that um, you just find has brought you a lot of joy? Can I talk about painting? Absolutely. Whatever brings you joy. (laughs) I think it's been that for me lately. I've been doing some oil painting and some gouache and part of it's the standing up, honestly, just to be, and being away from the computer, but also because I've been watching a bunch of videos about painting to learn how to get better faster Um, because I'm impatient. (laughs) I'm learning a lot about the principles of art and thus design. So I'm learning more about, say, lighting, which is then allowing me to apply that to my illustration work, even though I'm using it for painting or like I'm getting more into abstract painting, even if it's just looking at abstract paintings and buying them and not (laughs) making them. But still, I'm like, oh, how do you make a mountain range look like a mountain range with the fewest strokes possible? Like, that's super interesting to me now, I'm realizing. And so kind of developing this appreciation for fine art beyond what I had liked maybe before this year has been a really nice journey for me. That is awesome because it it's funny when you were talking about icons a little while ago and how you know you have to simplify shapes. I was thinking in the back of my mind, I was like, I bet that would really help to like have a lot of exposure to abstract art and art that is more, you know, simplified to help you view objects in a different way because we're just so used to everything being so literal to simplify it seems like a hard thing. And so it's funny, I was thinking that and then you're like, yeah, I've been in, I've been enjoying all this art lately. And I'm like, aha. You were right. Yeah, I nice. I went to the Seattle Art Fair this weekend and obviously you love looking at paintings you love. You see a beautiful thing and you're like, that's great. And then you're happy. But it's also good to see stuff that you don't like and then to be able to sit with that and go, why? Like, what don't I like about this? Is it that it's objectively bad, which usually it's not? Or is it that it's not for me, like the audience is for someone else? Or maybe I just don't like it and it's kind of helpful to see, well, why don't I like that? Is there still value to be found in this? I went with a friend of mine who also is into art. So we got to have conversations about all the different art. And um, it reminded me of something that my 
professor at university said, which was probably the best advice I ever got from a teacher. He said, if you're looking at something and you can't decide if you love it or you hate it, you probably love it, but it is making you question your own preconceived notions. I love that. Wow. I also love it. Yeah. When you're like, oh, you don't know. It's like, it's that, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And so it's that discomfort that you have to like take out and then look at the discomfort and then see if you still feel the same way once you get past your own discomfort. Wow. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's funny because I feel like as people, we tend to default into, oh, this is good. This is bad, right? Like we always like to kind of polarize things, even um, in like the tech community. It's like, oh, this framework is this good and this framework is bad. Like they can't both be good. Like it can't be like preference-based. It's so funny. I think oftentimes when we're taking two objectively good things and we are like choosing between them, it oftentimes... So my wife and I have actually been watching this uh, Showtime TV show called Couples Therapy, where they actually like have couples going through real therapy and they recorded it and like released it as a TV show. Some brave people. I would never be able to allow myself to be put out like that. But this therapist is always asking these questions and like digging into like, well, why do you feel that way? And why do you think that way? And It's interesting because oftentimes the way we engage with the world, whether it's in relationships or whether how we feel about two frameworks, oftentimes like tells us more about us than it does about the world outside of us, which like really feels like it lines up with that kind of art perspective. So cool. I think like just thinking about different types of frameworks for like getting work done there isn't really ever going to be a correct answer. It's going to be more like for this project and this group of people, this might be the better option. I'm always hesitant if I'm talking to a team and they're like, oh, well, we only do sprints because sprints are the best way to do it. I'm like, are they always though? And for every type of project, not necessarily, especially as an icon designer, I found the way that I have to work within a product team is going to be pretty different usually from a product designer. Yeah. The main reason being just the number of assets. Like I'm delivering sometimes hundreds of assets a week if I'm in like the delivery stage of a project or we're finishing up a library. Even if I'm doing more like ongoing maintenance, it could be dozens of assets. And so most designers are not, they just are not delivering things in that way. And so I learned a lot as a production yeah. designer about just shipping things, like getting things to engineers get or getting them to designers to get them to engineers. Um, and so you have to just take a different approach with icon design and product illustration. And you have to learn how to do that too. Yeah, I love that. Like you said, looking at, first of all, the environment, right? The company, the goals, but also what you're trying to accomplish. And like, does the thing that you're engaging in actually benefit the work you're trying to do? Or does it hinder it or complicate it? And the goal is kind of going back to your icon simplicity, right? Like, how do you simplify the work that you do? And that's cool. Well, as we, you know, wrap up every episode, we always like to, you know, give a chance to see if there's anything that the guests would like to kind of share with the community, anything that you think they might find helpful, um, anything like that. So I think the thing I'd like to promote is Figma Academy. 
for anyone who's looking to become an icon designer or anyone who's like, I would like to work with Bonnie Kate and be an icon designer, you're going to need to be able to use Figma. And I'm trying to get more illustrators and icon designers into Figma because I think it's a great tool, but also it just puts you closer to product designers. And that's going to almost always be better because then you're closer to the team and that's generally going to be a good thing. And so Figma Academy, which the URL is figma.academy, is a great tool for learning Figma. And I wish for people to tell me when I need to change tools or when I need to consider other tools because it can be very hard to set aside the things you're comfortable with. So if you are getting into design, getting into icon design or illustration, and you haven't yet tried Figma, this is a great resource. That's great. Definitely the current company and the previous company I worked at, all the designers use Figma. So I've gotten to play around with it a little while. It's it's an amazing tool. So I I second that. Definitely go go check out Figma Academy. Learn how to use Figma. Or if you just know it a little bit, like go figure out more stuff with it. Awesome. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just been a pleasure to chat and get to know you better and, and hear about your story. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for episode 28. It's like solving a puzzle with only 24 by 24 pixels with Bonnie Kate Wolf. You can find out more about Bonnie on her Twitter at Bonnie Kate Wolf or her website. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Bonnie's website and Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well. Give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform and tag a friend or coworker that you think would enjoy it. Don't forget to follow us wherever you hang out online or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date. Thank you for listening and have a great day.